Welcome to this week's episode of Plot Summary. I'm Ted Bohorquez with News Talk KZRG. This is where I take everything Peter, Steve, and myself discussed on the Morning News Watch this week, and I sum it up for you in a nice little plot summary. We're going to jump right into it this week. Uh, a lot of stuff went down, and the first thing I want to talk about that we discussed a lot this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG is the Biden document scandal. Now, if you'll remember, earlier in the month, it came out that Joe Biden had copious amounts of top-secret documents in his possession that were from the Obama administration back when Biden was vice president, which he should not have had. It's not like there are top-secret documents when he's president now. He would have every right to have those, of course. They are from when he was the vice president. He should not have those documents. And as a matter of fact, timeline-wise, he actually had them When he wasn't in the White House at all, he had them post Obama administration, pre Biden administration when Donald Trump was in the White House. Biden was not even in politics at that time. He shouldn't have had any of those documents. And yet he had a lot of top secret documents. Of course, this was a huge story because if you'll remember, the feds kicked down the door of Donald Trump for similar crimes not that long ago. And um, now we're seeing just this big game of hypocrisy being played out. So that's that's all old news. But what we learned this week with the documents is that the Secret Service does not keep track of who comes and goes from the locations that Biden had those documents in. Most notably, he had them in his Delaware home, in his garage with his Corvette, and um, he also had them in a think tank that receives a tremendous amount of Chinese funding. But, you know, don't worry about that, he said. In any case... There's no track of who comes and goes from these locations where these classified documents were. This raised a lot of concern this this week over who might have seen those documents. Now, because there's no record of who came and went, we can't for sure say the Chinese had access. We can't say for sure the Russians had access or or Big Pharma or these big lobbyists that clearly have bought and sold Biden long ago. We don't know if they've had access, but we also don't know if they didn't. So there was a lot of talk this week over how secure were these documents, despite the fact that Biden said they were locked with his Corvette. So so who had access to these documents? Well, we don't know for sure everyone that had access, but we do know at least one person that had access to these documents. And that one person is none other than Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden had a key to the locked garage that Biden's Corvette was in, along with his secret treasure trove of highly classified documents. How do we know that Hunter Biden had a key to this locked garage? Well, because of a little something called Hunter Biden's laptop that we all now know is real, despite the left saying it's fake news and all this stuff. Among the photos that were found on Hunter Biden's laptop was a nice little photo album of him driving in good old Joe's Corvette, the very Corvette that is locked in the garage with these very classified documents that are now in question. He never made mention that Hunter had access to them. Why is this concerning? Well, because it is now famously and widely known that Hunter has been engaged in power peddling with his dad's position. And now all of a sudden he has top secret classified documents that could put national security at risk. You don't think he would have sold that to the highest bidder? I'm not saying he did. Nobody knows if he did. I'm just saying I wouldn't put it past Hunter to sell these classified documents or at least copies of the classified documents to the highest bidder. That was a very big thing that came out this week. 
And some people counter-argued with, yeah, but it's not likely. Is Hunter that smart? Is that something he would do? Did Hunter Biden even know that the documents were there? Good questions. Very, very fair. But you know what else came out this week? A little story about a man named Frank Biden. Frank Biden is President Joe Biden's younger brother. And as it turns out, Frank Biden has been peddling White House influence ever since Joe was elected in the very same manner that Hunter Biden is. (laughs) So more or less, this whole power peddling Biden family enterprise really is just that a Biden family enterprise. It's not just Hunter Biden. It's not just one bad actor in the Biden family. This is becoming a common theme with the Biden family of selling influence to lobbyists and to foreign governments that want to do bodily harm to this nation and to its citizens. Did Frank Biden have access to these documents? Very possibly. Frank Biden had been paid money time and time again to give speeches in other countries about the future of the world. And a very key feature of all of his speeches are ways to gain American influence, citing his brother Joe Biden. So he's basically going to other countries and teaching them, how do you blackmail American politicians? How do you get their ear? How do you properly bribe them? What is it that they're looking for that you can dangle in front of their face and then get them to do what you want? He's basically running a crash course on how to become a lobbyist in America. Now, some people are saying, well, so what? You know, he's just doing his thing. Maybe he is actually an expert in these fields, and they're actually having him come out to speak about that. It's not necessarily suspicious that he's, uh, you know, teaching people how to essentially game the system. But one of his most notable speaking engagements was in Venice, Italy, at a Big Sig conference. Now, Big Sig is about the future of global health care specifically. Big Sig is a big health industry, essentially. Frank is not a doctor. He has had zero experience in the medical industry. He was not like the CEO of a major medical chain. He, he was never on the, you know, the CFO of a medical board or anything. No medical industry experience whatsoever. And yet he is being invited back to the Big Sig Conference. Why? Well, not necessarily for his doctoral insight, given he's not a doctor. Perhaps maybe it's because he is teaching Big Pharma better ways of gaming the system and better lobbying tactics for the United States government. Perhaps that's why. Now, is that huge in of itself? No, not necessarily. But it is another brick in the wall of the Biden family business making money off of influence and teaching people more or less step-by-step instructions on how to become a lobbyist. That's sort of the concern here. And again, this just paints a broader picture. We have these documents that were locked up, that were classified, that Biden shouldn't have had. And now all of a sudden we find out that Hunter Biden, who is now famously and publicly is known to be peddling influence, much like we saw that him sitting on the energy boards in Ukraine, despite having zero energy sector experience or knowledge of any kind. Now we also have Frank Biden, who's Joe Biden's brother, now speaking at major engagements for global medical health. Again, much like his son, Hunter Biden, having zero prior experience in that field of any kind. And yet they're making all of this money off of teaching people essentially, again, how to lobby for influence in the American system. And this Biden business is becoming very, very overt, not just to the American public, but also to politicians. Now, the Republicans were on to this the whole time, but it came out this week, and we discussed this on the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG, is Democrats are now starting to push against Biden about his overt peddling here. 
California Democratic Representative Adam Schiff said Biden's handling of documents may have jeopardized national security. That came out just this week. We're now having major Democratic politicians who have been nothing but Biden stands this whole time coming out and saying, yeah, this isn't good news or correct. And um, Schiff made a point of saying that he thinks the appointment of a special counsel, which was uh, announced last week by Merrick Garland, was appropriate. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced that he will be launching a full investigation into the Biden administration over this mishandling of classified documents. That came out a couple of weeks ago. But just this last week, we're now having Democratic politicians weigh in and saying that that was a good call, that they should be doing an investigation into Biden. Adam Schiff pushed for a deep, deep assessment, very similar to the one that was done on the Trump documents. And again, this is a Democrat saying this. What does this mean? Does this mean the Democrats are turning on Biden? Nobody really knows yet. That's one theory that we discussed this week. Another theory is that this is nothing more than public pressure. You know, at the end of the day, these politicians do work for us. And if we have enough American people calling into our representatives and telling them, we want to see an investigation of the Biden documents, eventually they're going to have to do it or jeopardize losing their seat, which they don't want to do. Perhaps in California, enough people got a little suspicious and a little annoyed at the case that they started making phone calls to their state representatives and saying, hey, let's get let's get something done here. What's going on over there? We don't really know what the Democrats are planning on doing, but in any case, this isn't a small matter that the big media tends to portray at this Biden document situation. They are really pushing to investigate this, and Democrats are now starting to push for it as well. So it has gotten that big. And that's the Biden family business, which brings me into the next topic that we discussed a lot this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. The Biden family occupying the White House. When 2024 comes around, will they try and occupy it again? Well... We don't know. (laughs) It came out this week that we don't know. Biden has yet to make a, a formal announcement for running again, and yet his team continually keep insisting and hinting at the fact that he is going to announce and that he is going to run in 2024, but Biden has never actually said anything. So essentially we're getting secondhand drama. Well, this week was very important for the 2024 race comparatively because four years ago this month, The 2020 presidential race was in full swing, and yet here we are. The 2024 race so far, literally only one person, one human being on the entire planet has announced a bid for 2024, and that was Donald Trump. (laughs) I mean, four years ago, the 2020 race, full swing. We had a massive group of people that have that made announcements or had announced that they are putting a team together or putting a committee together. No such announcements exist at this point for 2024 other than Donald Trump. Will Biden run? We don't know. But he's got to make a decision pretty soon here. Now, in terms of the Republicans, what are we looking at here? Well, this week there was a lot of talk about that. A number of very well-known Republicans reportedly are very seriously mulling over a 2024 White House run. Um, Some of them are making early moves that come ahead of a formal campaign launch, which now that list includes Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We have um, who else do we had with this week? We had we had a bunch. We had um, former governors Larry Hogan of Maryland, Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, uh, Tim Scott, you know, a number, a myriad of Republican candidates, potential candidates 
made a, a lot of moves this week and a couple of weeks ago as well that would seriously hint at running for 2024 and announcing bids, some of which came directly. You know, Asa Hutchinson, for instance, said without batting an eye, yeah, I, I plan on running. Uh, I'm just sort of getting my committee together here. So there is a lot of promise coming up in that sphere. But again, no other person has actually announced or made any formal moves at all, except for Donald Trump. And now in terms of the Republicans for 2024, why is that? Why aren't they running? What's going on here? Well, some experts argued this week, and we discussed this a lot on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. The Republicans are still looking at Trump as an incumbent candidate, which historically incumbent candidates are very, very difficult to beat, very difficult to dethrone. Trump has an enormous, enormous base, arguably an autonomous base that is almost separate from other Republican ventures. It's almost like its own thing at this point. And yet, despite that, he's still pretty much in charge of the Republican Party and and of the Republican movement. So why are these people a little afraid of coming out? How come they haven't announced anything yet? Well, some people are saying they might be a little afraid, frankly. Um, You know, as everyone knows, what we know and love Trump for is his ability to punch with all cannons. And the second somebody uh, on the Republican side announces against Trump, he's going to go swinging at that person. And so I think we're at a little bit of a stalemate here where Republicans are just waiting for somebody else to announce first so that way they absorb all of Trump's wrath. And then, you know, then other people will start announcing to sort of hide behind the initial punching bag of Trump's fury. Maybe. Maybe that's what we're waiting for. In any case, experts came out this week and said, we might be waiting for a little while for some of these heavy-hitting Republicans to announce candidacies if that is their intention. You know, one expert said, there'll be no benefit for someone like DeSantis who will have all the money he needs to get in early and start the burn rate. There's no point for Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is a really heavy hitter. Someone that undoubtedly garnished a lot of natural support from the nation, really. There's no reason for him to announce a candidacy early. Because once that candidacy is announced, then he's going to just start burning money. He already has all of the, the, the framework and groundwork laid of people supporting him. Just by virtue of him being Ron DeSantis, everyone loves him. He gained a lot of popularity over COVID. He gained a lot of popularity against Disney, against the woke mob. There's no reason for him to start spending money and start campaigning now. He already has a base. So he's not going to announce for a while. He wouldn't need to. And we see that with uh, a lot of other heavy hitters, including Ted Cruz, including Rick Scott, Mike Pence. These people already have a, a base. They don't need to do early campaigning. They can wait. So, you know, it might be a little while, unfortunately, for some of these heavy hitters. Now, experts argued this week that some of these lesser known people, um, They might be getting in sooner rather than later just because they don't have that automatic, solid, foundational fan base, that voter block that someone like DeSantis or Pence already has. So maybe they'll start getting in sooner rather than later. We don't know. In any case, the 2024 presidential campaign is already shaping up to look rather strange just by virtue of the fact that nobody on the Democrat side has announced yet. They're all kind of waiting for Sleepy Joe to get his act together. And... There's not really a lot of momentum on the Republican side either. It is sort of this weird, lackluster turnout. We don't know what's going on, and nobody does, but it's uh, it's freaking a lot of people out, and we'll just have to watch closely 
on these coming weeks to see what happens. So what else happened on the Morning News Watch at Newstalk KZRG this week? Well, let me tell you. Um, this week we saw a lot of woke stories. <laughs> we discussed a lot of woke stuff this week, which uh, was pretty funny. Um, the big one was the gas stove crisis. That's what the left are calling it, the gas stove crisis, because everything is a crisis these days. As you remember, a couple of weeks ago, the left came out with some study that said 13% of all childhood asthma cases was because of gas stoves and that uh, the state of New York and New York City were looking to ban gas stoves in all new buildings and, you know, that sort of thing. Well, it came out this week. It turns out that that study was funded in part by the Chinese Communist Party. Hmm. Interesting. Perhaps some disinformation. Perhaps that's what is going on here. Perhaps there's some misinformation going around about gas stoves. Yeah, it was pretty funny. The, the organization that did the study is demanding, and that was the word they used, demanding systematic change and economy-wide transformation. That's, that's a quote. Quote, systematic change and economy-wide transformation, end quote, to address this climate crisis and get rid of gas stoves. It's a crisis. It's a climate crisis, and we need economy-wide transformation. So basically, essentially what's happening here, from my perspective, and, and this is something we discussed on the Morning News Watch, is the Chinese Communist Party is feeding feeding this country with this mis- and disinformation and sending us on a wild goose chase. You know, if you remember, I'm going to make a comparison here. If you've ever heard about conspiracy theories about us not landing on the moon in the 1960s. The conspiracy is pretty simple. It goes like this. We faked the original moon landing, so that way the Russians thought it was possible, and then tank their economy, spending all of their money and resources, pumping all of it into getting to the moon, which is a feat that it was, at the time, technologically impossible, collapsing their economy and destroying them from within because we sent them on a wild goose chase that had zero end. That is the conspiracy theory, in part, of us faking the moon landing in the 1960s. Now, let's take that to modern day. Is that possibly what the Chinese Communist Party is doing to this country today? Are they giving us these wild goose chases like climate change that requires systematic change and economy-wide transformation? These wild goose chases that will bankrupt us for no reason. How much money would it cost for us? To change every single gas stove and completely re-outfit all of the gas-burning economy here and gas-burning infrastructure that we have in this country. Probably a lot of money. How much money would it take to change every single bathroom in the entire country so that way there's a trans option? How much money would it take for this country to completely overhaul all education? And do systematic reform to make sure that the woke agenda is, is the heartbeat of the education system. A lot. And all of those things combined, so much so, would probably bankrupt this country. Is, is this a form of economic warfare posed by the Chinese Communist Party? Potentially. <laughs> it kind of sounds like it. It seems like they're kind of Trojan horsing this economic warfare, this push for economic collapse for America through woke ideology. And that's the theories that kind of came out this week over this gas stove crisis, once it came out that it was funded in part by the Chinese Communist Party. Because, let's be honest here, the Chinese Communist Party doesn't really like this country. They're not really our friends. 
So do you think the Chinese Communist Party donated money to help solve American childhood asthma? Do you think the Chinese Communist Party really cares about our, you know, about our kids and cares about all the kids that have asthma? They just, oh man, oh, I feel so bad for those poor American boys and girls that have asthma. I'm going to donate a bunch of money to you guys to figure out what's causing it. Do you think that's what's going on in Xi's mind, in the Chinese Communist Party's mind? Probably not. Probably not. So what would, why would they fund a study about gas stoves and childhood asthma? Not for the good of us. Was it for the good of them? No, because it was specifically about American use of gas burning stoves. <laughs> it wasn't coupled with, you know, Chinese use. So, you know, these are the things that we have to pay attention to and the left doesn't look at is what is their motivation? Everyone has motivation. The Chinese Communist Party, again, doesn't like this country. Why? What, what motivates them to fund this study? Probably, potentially, this wild goose chase to bankrupt us. Maybe. I don't know. But that was a big theory that came out this week. Um, another big uh, woke agenda story that we discussed a lot this week that gave Peter quite a laugh was the rise of vasectomies. The number of liberal men getting vasectomies in solidarity with women is growing. By a, by a lot. Based off of polling, they're doing this in response to stricter abortion regulations that have been going around. Basically, they're saying, well, if women can't get an abortion in solidarity with them, I'll get a vasectomy. Yeah. So, you know, that's hilarious. <laughs> I guess that's one way to pick up liberal chicks. Hey, I got a vasectomy. I'm, you know, woo, I'm one with you guys. I'm part of the team. I'm kind of shooting themselves in the foot here. Um, and that was another big conversation that was discussed this week, actually, about the vasectomy thing was perhaps this is a great example as to why left ideology is so focused on indoctrination is because liberal liberals are having less and less kids. Here's a great example. Men are just getting vasectomies left and right. So they can't necessarily have kids and just raise them liberal. They actually have to go seek out other children and indoctrinate them with their ideology um, sort of fresh blood type thing. So that was another big conversation that we had this week. And finally, the last big woke story that we had um, is Mount Rushmore. <laughs> uh, activists are pushing to either rename or tear down, destroy Mount Rushmore because these activists think that it is offensive to Native Americans. And where this story starts is... I guess liberals, you know, liberals started doing history recently, you know, before they weren't really big on it, but suddenly they kind of are. And they found out that the land that Mount Rushmore is on used to belong to natives and uh, essentially was annexed by the whites in Americans. Um, and then they built Mount Rushmore. And so they're arguing that it's offensive and that we need to either rename it, which I don't know how that would solve the problem, or completely destroy it, blow it up, which to me is very offensive. I'm incredibly offended at the idea of blowing up Mount Rushmore because I love Mount Rushmore and that's part of my people's history. So, you know, there's that's I'm offended by that. A. B. They argue that that land was taken from natives. Well, it came out this week as it turns out the natives whose land was taken by the whites, those natives stole that land from a different group of natives a hundred years before the whites took it from them. <laughs> so, looks like what comes around goes around, to an extent. Also, it's not just white people taking land. Everyone in history is taking land. We are now just in a comfortable enough spot socially 
all of our major needs are met that we can sit back and point our fingers and and you know pick up our noses and act like we're better than our ancestors even though they were tested in ways that we never will be now at the news of this uh movement to destroy mount rushmore again i find that very offensive republican representative from south dakota uh dusty johnson proposed the mount rushmore protection act which would prohibit the use of federal funds to change destroy or rename Mount Rushmore National Memorial. The idea of destroying Mount Rushmore is really scary to me, and I'm glad that very, very quickly Republicans immediately started to pass legislation saying we're not doing that. I'm very, I, I hope to see that bill go through, um, and I hope to see more Republicans on board with it. And I'm glad that um, for this issue specifically, sometimes Republicans are a little slow on the ball to push back against woke ideology. I'm very, very happy that on this woke ideology specifically, I'm glad that they were very quick to respond with action. Davos and the World Economic Forum. Um, That was a big thing that was brought to us this week that we discuss. The World Economic Forum, if you don't know, is essentially a yearly meeting where all the global leaders, which include the rich, CEOs, dignitaries, politicians, presidents, so on and so forth, you know, titans of industries, robber barons, whatever, anyone who's anyone, They all meet every single year at this event called the World Economic Forum, uh, which is hosted in Davos, Switzerland. And essentially, this is some big, giant fraternity meeting for the rich where they go create marching orders to then disseminate to various countries and push global uh, global change and operations for us, the actual citizens of said nations. This year, uh, former Vice President Al Gore spoke at Davos. And he said that climate change will destroy the world, Um, (laughs) which, of course, he's been saying since like the 80s. He said climate change is going to be bringing in rain bombs and it's going to boil the oceans, Um, which, you know, is all pretty on par for Al Gore. But he made a claim this year that caught a lot of headlines. And we discussed this a lot on the morning news watch at News Talk KZRG. He said that climate change will affect the world's self-governance because of climate change we will no longer be able to govern ourselves that is a pretty creepy claim to make creepy in the big brothery illuminati uh one world government sense of the word creepy now to me essentially this is a precursor to him saying they're going to try and do away with self-governance and blame it on climate change (laughs) This whole climate change thing is just a way of controlling the entire planet. Basically, what people this week were saying is that it kind of sounds like they're just going to keep moving the goalpost forward and and set these climate change goals that are impossible to reach. And then when we don't reach them because they're impossible to reach, they'll say, well, because we didn't reach them, we're going to take away your self-governance. This is punishment for not reaching these impossible goals that you never were going to reach in the first place. That's what a lot of people were saying that sounded like. Because it's a pretty wild claim to say that because of climate change, we will no longer have self-governance. That's pretty wild. Now, his argument essentially more or less was a slippery slope argument. He was saying that climate change is what is causing all of this mass migration that the whole globe is seeing right now. We're seeing a lot of it on our southern border. Most of that is because of Biden policy right now. But in Europe, Europe is seeing huge migration from the Middle East and from Asian nations. 
massive migrations into England, into France, into Italy, into the uh, the Nordic nations. Now, Al Gore is arguing it's because of climate change. The climate is changing, making where where these migrants are living unhospitable, unhabitable. And so they have to move north. They have to move into these Western countries in order to survive. That's his argument. So we have that climate change causing migration. Then he went and said, because of migration, there is going to be a rise of authoritarianism because people are all racist and hate migrants, according to him. And uh, because of this rise of authoritarianism, that is what is going to end up causing a lack of self-governance. Climate changes, migrants migrate, authoritarianism creates no self-governance. That's sort of his domino effect that he pitched to the world. Is that what's going to happen? Probably not, but there was a lot of talk about that this week. It was uh, definitely a wild claim for him to make. Um, speaking of authoritarianism, the last big thing we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk, KZRG, potential, a potential rise to authoritarianism in its literal sense, uh, the TSA. The TSA is rolling out a new technology that nobody asked for and pretty much nobody wants, where instead, you know, when you go to the airport, instead of handing over your passport or your driver's license or your state-issued ID, um, they'll just do a face scan on you. Yeah, they'll just have uh, all of your facial data in a storage bank that the government owns and can do with it what they want. And then they'll just be able to face scan you and track you literally everywhere you go off of every single camera. Yeah, that's authoritarianism. And uh, that's the new technology that the TSA announced that they're going to try and start rolling out. Great. Super fun. Really excited for that. TSA spokesman Daniel Valles wrote in an email uh, when this program began. He, He said, quote, biometric technology has the potential to enhance security effectiveness, improve operational efficiency, and yield a more streamlined passenger experience at the TSA checkpoint, end quote. Let me tell you something. I don't need my TSA experience to be any more streamlined. I don't think anybody really does. I am very okay, and I'm going to make this claim right now. I'm very okay with handing the guard my driver's license. The motion of me taking my wallet out and handing him my ID, I don't need it to be much more streamlined than that. That's, that's pretty quick. I'm pretty quick on the draw at this point. And by the way, most people already have it ready. Pretty easy to do. I don't think I want to give up my biometric DNA to Big Brother, to the government, for a more streamlined process. I don't really want to do that. I'm fine with handing them a card. I'm cool with that. <laughs> uh, Val Valles continued on to say, he said, quote, TSA recognizes that biometric solutions must be highly usable for all passengers and operations, considering the diversity of the traveling public. Again, <laughs> I think we're all good handing over our IDs. I would rather hand over my government-issued ID than I would my biometric information. Now, this got a lot, this made a lot of waves with Republicans. Republican Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, he tweeted out, quote, Countries like China and Russia use facial recognition technology to track their citizens. Do you trust Joe Biden's TSA to use that well? End quote. Great question, Jim Jordan. Very good question. And we saw this across the board with conservatives. Conservatives are making a lot of noise questioning the TSA's motives. And we saw a lot of noise this week from politicians, mostly conservatives, but also a lot of Democrats, a lot of liberals as well, were questioning the TSA's motives. We, we saw a widespread criticism across the political spectrum 
Now, ironically, the left and the right both agree this is bad idea, but they agree that this is bad a bad idea for different reasons. The right thinks this is a terrible idea, you know, because of Big Brother um, and you know government abuse, everything that our founding fathers warned us about when it came to big government. The left don't like this technology because it isn't woke enough yet. The the technology isn't quite woke enough for the left yet. They argue that it doesn't work well at identifying women or people of color because the technology is actively racist and sexist. So, you know, that's why the left doesn't like it is because the technology is racist and sexist. I'll tell you, I don't really care why the left doesn't like this technology. I'm okay with having their support in fighting against the TSA and biometric government advancements. I'm I'm okay with if the, if the left doesn't like it because they think it's sexist. Fine, I'm not going to argue with them as long as we're both on the same side that this is terrible technology. And a lot of uh, Republican and conservative uh, politicians this week also made that argument of saying, "All right, fine. You think it's it's sexist? Great. I don't care. Let's all just agree this is awful." So, yeah, we also got that to look forward to in our future. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much uh, everything we discussed this week on the Morning News Watch at News Talk KZRG. Be sure to tune in next week on FM 102.9, 105.9, AM 13. We're also on your smart speaker, and you can always tune in on Facebook Live. Uh, you can catch us on Facebook Live as well. We live stream the Morning News Watch every single morning. You can check us out. And if you ever miss anything on the Morning News Watch, you can always catch up right here at Plot Summary with News Talk KZRG.